Good morning to all of you. It's another privilege to uh, be gathered together in the Lord's house this morning. To those of you who are visiting, it's good to have you with us. Trust that you can find your time here a beneficial and such that uh, inspires you and challenges in your life as well. As I prepared uh, this message, there were two things that I wanted to keep in mind. One was uh, that it had been announced back a few weeks ago that the month of November was designated as Mission Emphasis Month. Did you remember that? (laughs) It, It was announced once or twice. And I believe that request was from the Puerto Rico Mennonite Council as they were, well, as we are, seeking God's direction for the work there and for for more workers and for, for more help there in the, in the mission work there in Puerto Rico. And so it was a desire to, to stir up uh, more commitment and prayer support for the needs there in Puerto Rico especially, and other needs uh, in, our, in our missions uh, close by as well. And so that's one thing that I was trying to keep in mind as I thought about this message I wanted to share something that, that could fit along that line, perhaps. And then the other is that this morning is council meeting, and so I had that in mind and, and wanted to share something as well that, that would be suitable for the occasion. And so the message that the Lord laid on my heart this morning, uh, you might feel that it's, it's heavier on the mission and lighter on the council, and perhaps it is. However, as I thought about our desire to grow in our personal life, in our spiritual life, as I thought about uh, the need to be more like Christ and to follow His example, and then as I thought about the call that that goes out to all Christians uh, to be faithful in sharing the gospel... I said, well, those are so closely intertwined, (laughs) those two things. As we consider our personal uh, spiritual health, as it were, and then the command to share the gospel, certainly they go hand in hand. Uh, Can you separate them? (laughs) Is Is it possible to truly have one without the other? And so the message that I would like to share this morning... I've titled, Personal Evangelism, The Christian's Responsibility. Personal Evangelism, The Christian's Responsibility. And for a springboard to the message this morning, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Two verses here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Philippians 2.15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Holding forth the word of life, that's the phrase 
that caught my attention as I was pondering this message. Holding forth the word of life. And by the way, that's, that's our conference theme. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, like on the front of our statement of faith, uh, you see that little, the little emblem there, the little, what do you call it? Brand? No, I don't know if it's a brand. Uh, but but uh, you see that on there as well as the letterhead of our, our conference. Uh, there's a picture there of, of a, a hand holding out the Bible. And then around that it says, holding out or holding forth the word of life. Philippians 2.16. So my question is, are we doing that? Are we being faithful in that? Holding forth the word of life. The Apostle Paul is saying here that that we have an obligation to hold forth the word of life. And this is not a job that is just meant solely for the preachers. Not at all. Certainly, it's a responsibility for each and every Christian. If you this morning have named the name of Christ, then you have a responsibility to hold forth the word of life. And, And the word of life means the gospel. Because it's a message that promises life. It's a life-giving word, we could say. And because of that, it's a powerful message. It's one that's meant to be shared. And so then Paul says there, in the last part of verse 16, in in my own words, you know, he says, when I get to the end of my life, I don't want to be ashamed that I haven't been faithful in sharing that life-giving word. I don't want to be ashamed that I haven't been doing that. But I want to be able to stand before Christ uh, with a heart of joy, knowing that I have done this to the best of my ability, that I've carried out this responsibility as well as I can. I want to stand before the Lord with joy. And so evangelism is sharing the good news of the gospel. And personal evangelism is when we take that responsibility personally, when we take it seriously and say, no, that's not just for the preachers. That's not just for the Sunday school teachers. That's for me. (laughs) That's my responsibility to be active in sharing my faith, to be active in, in witnessing to others what Christ has done for me and what he can do for them. That's personal evangelism. Someone has said, evangelism is the act of so presenting the gospel of God, which is revealed in Jesus, that men are persuaded to commit themselves to his purpose. The act of so presenting the gospel of God which is revealed in Jesus that men are persuaded to commit themselves to his purpose. You see, our attitude toward personal evangelism has a lot to do with our spiritual condition. You know that? In fact, our attitude toward actively sharing the gospel with others, I say, is a clear indicator of our spiritual temperature. And maybe that's a sobering thought. Perhaps it is. It, it, it's been sobering to me the last little while as I've been pondering this message. How have I been doing in this thing of, of personal evangelism? 
You know, and, and when we talk about evangelism, we're not talking about uh, talking to people within our church here this morning. That, that's more about revival. <laughs> revival has to do with, with those inside the church. Evangelism has to do with those outside of the church that are lost, that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it's, it, it, sometimes it's easier to just talk to one another about how we're doing. It can get a little difficult sometimes when, when we have to meet up. Well, I shouldn't say half. When we have the opportunity to meet up with someone who may look scary and he needs the gospel. You know, I'm convinced that, that when a person knows what it means to be forgiven, when they know what it means to have peace with God, when they know what it means to have a new life, and when they are experiencing a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, then they will have a burning desire to share that with others. I believe so. They will want to share what Christ has done for them. But when there's a lack of desire and priority in a person's life for this, for sharing the gospel, then I believe that we would have the right to question that, person, that person's authenticity or their depth of, of the profession that they make. It's been said that personal evangelism is a result of continuing personal revival. Lack of evangelism is a result of no continuing personal revival. You see, the gospel means good news. Good news. <laughs> it's fun to share good news, isn't it? I remember I, I taught I, the, the first message I shared back almost four years ago. It's hard to believe. I, I spoke about the good news, about the good news of the gospel. And, and I think I started that message by, by uh, speaking something about when uh, when Kim and I were dating or engaged or something, and how that was just such good news <laughs> to me. And it wasn't hard to speak about that. That was exciting, and it was easy to share that. But we're talking about the good news of the gospel, and for some reason, it's not always as easy, it seems, to share the good news of the gospel. God forbid. God help us in this. But good news is meant to be shared. And yet, many people today do not share their faith. Many people today do not witness as they ought. Why is this? And it's a sobering thought, but perhaps they don't have anything to say. Maybe we don't have anything to say. And that's not good either. Because if, if you have been saved, if God has, has worked in your life, and if you've been changed, then you have something to share. And I have something to share. I remember Peter and John there, back in, in Acts chapter 4 or 5, somewhere in there, uh, when they were commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, how did they respond? Oh, yes, finally. It's been, this, this has been difficult anyway. I'm just glad we finally have a way out. no. They said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. <laughs> I mean, they said, phooey with that, we're going to keep, 
we're going to keep preaching. We have to. It's such a burden on our heart. God's been so good to us. We have so much to talk about. And so they just kept right on preaching and teaching. And the Apostle Paul had a very similar attitude. Uh, He felt compelled to preach the gospel to the lost. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel, he said. And so this morning, I would like to take note of of Paul's commitment to share the gospel as we find it in the first chapter of Romans. And that's our text for this morning. Uh, Turn to Romans chapter 1. And we'll start with the first few verses there in the chapter and then skip down uh, to part way through the chapter. Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. And let me just mention there, as you start the the book of Romans here, you see that Paul's saying he's been called to do this, he's been called to preach, God has called him, and he has this responsibility. But but it's not, he doesn't just end there. He then puts the the emphasis on on our responsibility as well. Verse 6, among whom are ye also the called? So so this is for you as well, not just me. Verse 7, And to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, move down to verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as, as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so our our key verses here for this morning are verses 14, 15, and 16. And Paul shares his commitment in the following three statements. I am debtor, I am ready, and I am not ashamed. He shares his commitment in those three statements. And I'd like to look at those uh, specifically this morning. Paul said, I am debtor. I am debtor. Or in other words, I have an obligation. He realized that the gospel message was not just for his personal benefit. The gospel message wasn't meant to just stay quiet inside of him. No, but he must tell it. He had a responsibility to tell it. In fact, 
He felt obligated to tell it. Why is this? Why did the Apostle Paul feel such a, an obligation to preach the gospel to the lost? And I believe that his sense of obligation came out of his personal encounter with Jesus uh, that day on the road to Damascus. We can uh, Actually, we're going to turn to uh, Acts 26. This is where he recounts uh, that to King Agrippa. But there on the, on the road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul had, had, or Saul at that time had a very real and life-changing experience. And, and it was an experience that gave him a new focus. It gave him a new passion for the rest of his life. And so many years later then, uh, he was sharing this glowing testimony of that encounter with King Agrippa. I say it was the testimony of obedience to the call of God. Uh, Acts 26, let's note here what he said. Verse 13, he said, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining around about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of the things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Verse 20, But showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none of the things than those which the prophets and Moses did say, did, uh, I'm sorry, did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles." That was Paul's testimony of what had happened many years ago. He was telling King Agrippa that, that he had seen Jesus in the way. He had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus gave him a mission. Jesus gave him a job to do. And he says, I was not disobedient to that call that I got that day. But I went... And I started proclaiming Jesus, and he said, I'm doing it to this day. I'm still doing it. The example of the Apostle Paul. He felt like he had an obligation to share the gospel message with the lost around him. And I say for the committed Christian, we also have an obligation. It's an obligation, not an option for the disciple of Christ. And as I pondered our sense of obligation, uh, three things came to mind. First of all, our sense of obligation stems from the fact that we have been forgiven much. We have been forgiven much. 
And there, when Jesus uh, was getting ready to send the disciples out to preach the gospel, before they went, he said, Freely you have received, freely give. That was one of the things he said to them. Freely you have received, freely give. Perhaps we should keep that in mind more often as it relates to our life and our personal obligation uh, to share the gospel. Consider what Christ has done for you. Consider how life was before you knew Christ. Consider how, how life is now. How things are different. How, how God helps you. How God encourages you. His faithfulness. His presence with you. Consider those things. And I say that it should, it should burn within us a desire then to have others experience the same. It should not stay just with us. The gospel is meant to be shared. And so our sense of obligation stems from the fact that we have been forgiven much. I also realize that as Christians, we must follow Christ's example. As Christians, we have a responsibility to walk as he walked. There in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, we read, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. It has to do with following the example of Christ, patterning our life after his example. We ought to do that. If we say we abide in him, then we ought to follow the example of Jesus Christ. The story is told of the evangelist, D.L. Moody, who was walking down through the streets of Chicago one day. And he stepped up to a certain man along the street there that, that he did not know at all. And he said, Sir, are you a Christian? And the man roughly replied, He said, You mind your own business. And immediately, Mr. Moody said, This is my business. <laughs> this is my business. I wonder what I would have said. Oh, oh, okay, see you later. Sorry. But isn't that our tendency? We don't want to make any trouble. Just, just thought I'd ask. You know. This is my business. You know, Jesus came to this earth uh, to do the will of the Father. He was here to do the Father's business. He said that I must be busy about my Father's business. <laughs> Or maybe I didn't say busy, but I must be about my father's business. And the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the will of the Father. And so Jesus was here on a mission. Jesus was here on a, a mission of redemption to bring salvation, uh, to show people the way to God. Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. That was his purpose for being here. And so then as we read through the Gospels, it's clear that this mission of seeking and saving the lost was one that consumed him. That's what drove him. His compassion for people. His concern for their needs. And so as Christians, 
We are to pattern our lives after Him. We are to walk as He walked. His focus, His mission, His sincere love for people, it must be ours as well. If we say we abide in Him, we ought to walk just as He walked. I also note then that our sense of obligation stems from the fact that we have been commanded to preach and to teach the gospel. We have been commanded. Now, imagine for a moment that I had, um, that I had ten bags of money sitting up here. And, and each bag of money, each bag had a thousand dollars. Ten of them. Thousand dollars a piece. And I would say to you that the first ten of you that by this time tomorrow goes out and shares the gospel message with one person, and we're not talking about if they respond well or not, just goes out and shares the gospel message, invites them to faith in Christ. The first ten of you that do that and come back, you get a bag. Each get a bag. What do you think would happen? You want, you want me to tell you what would happen? <laughs> there wouldn't be visiting after church. <laughs> you would probably leave, and, and there would probably be people back here pretty soon. As I thought about that, I thought, shame on us. And I mean, I know, I, I understand that desire, but shame on us. Because, you know, it's, it's, it seems like it's easy to get people... To, to serve, it's easy to get people to, to be active in their faith if there's kind of a juicy offer to go along with it. That's just how we're, that's just how we're made. We're human. You know, we're, we're fleshly. But, but where is that simple obedience to the command of Jesus? Where is our, our sincere love for Him? In other words, obeying Him out of love for Him. Obeying Him simply because He commands us to do this. Shouldn't that be enough? It should be, I believe. You know, people talk about, about last words being important. And, you know, when before someone dies, they might say a few things, and, and, and those are important and meaningful, and, and we'll even scramble to write them down so that we don't forget them because those were the last words. And a lot of times people... The last words are not things like, I'm thirsty, or, you know, or something. It's usually things like, that are important, that, that they want to leave yet with you. Well, I find it interesting to note that Jesus' last words to his disciples included the command to share the gospel. In the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those gospels, in just the last few verses, the last words that Jesus, or that are recorded, that Jesus said are words of, of sharing the gospel, preach the gospel, get out there and teach and preach. That was what was important to Jesus before he left, before he ascended. Take, for example, I'll just share a few. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. And Jesus said this, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Uh, Mark 16, 5. 
Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The last words of Jesus to his disciples. Preach the word. Share the gospel. It was important to him. The question is for us this morning, how important is it to us? Is it important to you? And so I believe as as followers of Christ, we have been commanded uh, to be active in sharing our faith with those around us. Let's take it seriously. And let's have a heart that acts out of love and that acts out of obedience to Him. Well, the next statement then we have from the Apostle Paul, this statement of commitment is in verse 15. He says, I am ready. First he says, I am debtor or I have an obligation. And then he says, I am ready. And actually he says, as much as in me is, or in other words, (laughs) with all of me, it speaks of eagerness. The word ready there speaks of, of a willingness. It speaks of anticipation. It's a heart that says, I want to do this. I'm ready. I want to. You see, the Apostle Paul didn't stop by saying that he's a debtor, that he's preaching the gospel strictly because because he feels like he has to. No, he didn't stop with that. But now he says that not only he's willing to do it, but, but he's eager to do it. It's something that he wants to do. He says that he wants to do this, he's ready to do this, uh, to you that are at Rome also. To you that are at Rome also. What's the significance of that? Let's think just a bit about that. We must keep in, in mind that Rome was like the greatest city of that time. Rome was where, where the smart people were. <laughs> Rome was where the, the rich people were. And Rome was the place where the gospel would would be most severely scrutinized. Where the gospel would probably be rudely rejected. That was in Rome. And I believe the Apostle Paul knew that. He was aware of that. But he said, I'm ready. I'm willing to take the gospel to these people. Regardless, I'm ready. Another word that I believe goes along... Uh, with ready and willing, is the word available. Available. It's that attitude of, what will you have me to do, Lord? And that's what the Apostle Paul said as well. When, when he met Jesus there, Lord, what will you have me to do? In other words, I'm available. I'm ready. What can I do? I believe that to the committed disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, that word willing is somewhat of an action word. (laughs) It's somewhat of an action word. You see, there are people that are perhaps willing to share the gospel. There are people that are perhaps willing to, to go and serve the church or to move somewhere. There are people that are perhaps willing, but... If that willingness is not known, what good is it? I say that along with this attitude of being ready and willing is an attitude of availability. I'm available. I'm available. 
And so I believe that a person who is truly willing to be useful, to serve, to share the gospel, will not just be around waiting for someone to come to them, but no, it will be their willingness will be made obvious by their availability. I'm willing and I'm available. How can I be used? And I see this played out in the example of the prophet Isaiah. There in, in Isaiah chapter 6, we won't, we won't turn there, I'll just mention uh, a few things there. I see the example of the prophet Isaiah. Did you know that, that the prophet Isaiah, he volunteered? He volunteered to go and preach to the people. God didn't come to him and, and tap him on the shoulder and say, uh, Isaiah, I, I'm, I'm waiting on you, I want you. No, not exactly. But it appears that Isaiah responded uh, to a general call that you could say he overheard. <laughs> there in, in verse 8 of Isaiah 6, we read this. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I, I saw that in a new way here recently. As I was pondering this passage... And I hadn't really thought about that before, that, that the call of God was out there. And Isaiah was in the presence of God at that time. He was seeing the glory of God, and he saw himself as, as undone and unworthy. And as, as he was in that position, he heard this voice saying, Who will go for us? And he responded, I will, I will. I'm available. I'm willing. Send me. As I was thinking about that, I came across a devotional by Oswald Chambers uh, that went right along with this thought. And I'd like to read a little paragraph of what he had to say here. He says, The call of God is not for a select few, but for everyone. Whether I hear God's call or not depends on the condition of my ears. And exactly what I hear depends upon my spiritual attitude. Those who have come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and have had their spiritual condition changed and their ears opened hear the voice of the Lord continually asking, Who will go for us? God did not force His will on Isaiah. Isaiah was in the presence of God and he overheard the call. His response, performed in complete freedom, could only be to say, here am I, send me. It was a challenge to me as I considered that. Here am I, send me. It's an attitude of being ready and willing and then, yes, available. I'm available. And so as I consider that, dear people, I don't, I don't believe that, that it is being forward or, or out of place or possibly even arrogant to volunteer to serve the Lord. No. Or to, or to be actively out there, out there, sharing the word. No, I don't. I, I think it is being obedient to the call of God. To say, I'm available, Lord. Where can, you, where can I be used? Sometimes... You know, we as, we as conservative Mennonites are sometimes considered uh, the quiet in the land, 
quiet in the land, or maybe the Amish, or, or all of us, a little bit more quiet people in the land. We don't get out there on the forefront and as much as, as others, perhaps. But sometimes I fear that this uh, supposed virtue of, of meekness, I'll say, it stands in the way of that command to be actively involved in sharing the gospel. Perhaps sometimes we, we use that as an excuse, you know, that, that, that meekness, you know, we don't want to be too, too out front, you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll live a good life, that, that's it, that's it. We'll show them the Lord by how we live, but, you know, we don't want to say too much. I fear that perhaps we, we get a little bit too far on that side sometimes, that we allow that, that attitude uh, to get in the way, to stand in the way of that command of sharing the gospel. Not just through our life, certainly that's important, but sharing the gospel through our words. Through our words. The call to share the good news of the gospel is out there to every Christian. And it's, it's ringing right now, in fact. <laughs> it's been for many, many years. That call has been ringing to share the gospel. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, is, are our ears open? What are we hearing? Are we ready and willing uh, to respond as was Isaiah, as was Paul? I believe God is looking today for people uh, who are sensitive to the voice of his Holy Spirit and are quick to respond regardless of, of their supposed limitations. You know, sometimes we feel like maybe there's, there's reasons that, that we just, maybe we're not good at this, or, or we don't, we don't, we're not really an out-front type person, or, you know, we, we have uh, supposed limitations, I'll say, that we put on ourselves, perhaps. Perhaps sometimes they're true. But the Apostle Paul did not allow those things to get in the way of his commitment. He also had supposed limitations. <laughs> we read that, that uh, he had this thorn in the flesh that he prayed and prayed that God would remove because he felt like it was a hindrance to him. And God chose not to remove it. Did he allow that to, uh, to hinder him? He kept right on preaching the gospel. He didn't allow that to get in the way. But he said, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm available. And I'm challenged by that this morning. Uh, thirdly, then, he shares his commitment with this statement that we see in verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This idea of, of not being ashamed seems to be somewhat of a theme in Paul's life. And we see at different times in his writings, he says, I'm not ashamed, or don't be ashamed. And I believe it goes right along with his confidence in God. It goes right along with his confidence in God's word. Uh, just for an example, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, verse 8. He says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Now, 
there's that word therefore. And so that means we need to go back a verse and see what it's there for. So verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. In other words, don't be afraid to testify what the Lord has done for you. Don't be afraid to share your faith because God has given us a spirit of power, not a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. So go with that in mind. And then verse 12, we'll start at 11. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I am not ashamed because he was confident in the keeping power of God. You know, people shrink back uh, from things that they're ashamed of. And certainly there are things that we should be ashamed of. There are. However, we should not be ashamed of those things that we know to be right and to be good and to be beneficial to ourselves and others, such as God and His Word. We ought not to shrink back and be ashamed of those things. Jesus said in Luke 9, 26, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. That's a sobering thought. Now back here in in Romans again, I note that Paul does not say, I am not afraid to preach the gospel. No, he doesn't say that. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You see, a person who is fearful of that task, they can still find the strength, they can still be willing and find the strength to do it. They can. But I say that a person who is ashamed of the gospel of Christ, a person that is ashamed of that, not only are they unfit for the task, but they are, they are not effective. They are not able to do that task effectively when they are ashamed of it. And I just had to think, you know, shame cripples people. Shame uh, brings people down. Shame makes people unable to do what they once could do. And I just thought of a couple of examples. I mean... Um, Shame can take the world's best golf player and make him unable to play golf like he used to. Shame can take some of the best and most influential leaders in government and send them back home again. Shame. And I say that if not dealt with seriously, shame can also ruin the Christian's potential to be effective in sharing the gospel. But Paul said here, he said, I am not ashamed... To preach the gospel in Rome. Now keep in mind once again that Rome was was the very head, you could say, of of pride and power. They had the reputation of of being great and learned and wise. That was Rome. 
And if, the, if there was any place where a person would be ashamed of a plain gospel, where a person would be ashamed of, of a man named Jesus, it would be in Rome during the, the rule of Nero. That would be where you'd be ashamed at. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel in a place like that. I'm not shrinking back, he said. And I say, why? How could he say that? And we see that as we move on in verse 16. For it is the power of God unto salvation. The good news of the gospel is a powerful message. It's powerful. The power of the gospel, I say, is found... uh, In its source, Jesus Christ. That's where the power comes from. It's in Jesus Christ. Jesus said there in the Great Commission, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he said, Go and teach. Go and teach what I have commanded you to teach in my name. And I'm going to be with you. You see, the power that was given to him, he is now giving us that power to go and to spread the gospel, to teach and to preach. We have part in that power. And and I believe Paul had experienced that power in his life. Paul had seen that power being experienced in the lives of others, that life-changing power that took someone that that was headed down sin's road and turned them around and they were on fire for the Lord. That's power. The, good, the gospel, I say, is good news. Uh, it brings life. It brings light. It brings salvation. Uh, it brings deliverance from sin. It brings freedom from guilt and shame. The gospel changes people's lives. And it changes their eternal destinies. That's powerful. How could we ever be ashamed of a power like this? God help us. God help us not be ashamed. You know, we could talk about powerful things that are out there in this world today. Things that capture our attention that are powerful. And, and we say, you know, wow, that's, that is really powerful stuff. We could talk about things like that and com- compare and everything. But, but I would just suggest this morning that, that the greatest power ever is the power of the gospel uh, through Jesus Christ. Or we could say the power of God through the gospel when it... When it, when it affects uh, a hardened sinner and it impacts their life and they choose to turn and follow Christ and to live for Him. That's the power of the gospel. That's powerful. And so today, God is calling you, God is calling me to be actively involved in this work. This isn't a work that is just given to the angels or to the Holy Spirit. God has called us to be actively involved in this work of of changing people's lives and and giving them a hope for the future. And I wonder, are we hearing that call? That call has been going out. That call is out there right now. Are we hearing it? Are our ears open? It's been said that the greatest mistake one can make in evangelism is to do nothing. To do do nothing. 
the greatest mistake one can make. Well, I'd like to close this morning then uh, with giving you a challenge. And perhaps, perhaps you won't like me for this. <laughs> but I'll leave that up to you and the Holy Spirit to deal with it later. Uh, the Holy Spirit's much more faithful and persistent than I am. But I'd like to give you a challenge, and I'm going to call it the, the, the two-for-two challenge, okay? The two-for-two. Two. And that is that in the next two weeks, speak to two people about the Lord. Speak to two people about uh, their need, their spiritual condition, and their need for Jesus. Is that too hard? Two people in the next two weeks. Don't wait now to start till next week sometime. Me. Yes, ma'am. No, no, I'll leave that up to you and the Holy Spirit to prompt you. I said he's more faithful than I am. <laughs> and so I asked you this morning, will you join me in this? I might even start this afternoon. Will you join me in this challenge? You see, we can, we can take a message like this, and I've done it many times in the past, where, you know, you hear it said, and, and, and that's a good idea. You agree? Yeah, we should do that. Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> and then several days later, you might not could, could say what, what was preached. I've been there before, too, so I'm, I'm not accusing just you. I'm, I'm speaking how human nature works. And so... I think this is more important than that. I believe it is. And so I, I want to challenge you uh, with, with this two-for-two two challenge to speak to two people in the next two weeks uh, about their need of the Lord, their spiritual condition. And we could think of excuses as well. You know, well, I'm busy and it's Thanksgiving and I've got this going and going away. And blah, blah. Um, but, you know, I, I just had to think, well, you know, I'll probably, do, I'll probably find time to do some hunting and I'll probably find time to sit down and eat turkey. And I'll, you know, I mean, I'm, I'll, in other words, we'll do what's important to us, dear people. We'll do what's important to us. So what is important to us? Uh, it causes us to think a little more soberly about where we are in life and what our focus is. But I am convinced that, that having a focus such as this, a focus of, of actively sharing the gospel with others, will do more good for us and for our congregation than we might believe. It will get our minds off of the little nitty-gritty things of life and, and maybe inconsistencies and things that you don't like about this and that and why does conference say this and blah, 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 blah. But I'm convinced that if we have a focus to hold forth the word of life through personal evangelism, I believe that it has the power to bring us together, to unify us, and to give us a, a fresh urgency of what is more important, and that is sharing the gospel with the lost around us. And so I am committed with the help of God to, to work on that myself, and I challenge you to join me in this. Uh, may God help us to this end. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning, and we're thankful once again for the examples that we have in Scripture, the examples of faithful men who are passionate about your word. Father, we thank you, though, most of all for the power of the gospel and for Jesus Christ and how, how that has affected our life in such a tremendous way uh, that we once wore uh, darkness, but now are we children of light and we know what it means to be saved. We know what it means to be forgiven. And Father, I pray that uh, we would have a burning desire 
And we would sense an obligation to share that good news with those around us. Father, help us to be faithful in this calling. Help us not to shrink back or be ashamed of what we have to share, but help us to share because we know it's powerful and it has the, the, it has the power to change people's lives. So, Father, I, I pray for your help in this. We realize that, that it's not an easy task, but we realize that it's a necessary task, and I pray that you'd give us the strength uh, to carry this out, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's stand for a closing song. You have a verse, a song or two, Rollin. We could stand and sing, and then we'll be dismissed.